So this morning, I'm going to just unpack one of those words that um, was given to us. Start my stopwatch. Fast forward five minutes. <laughs> um, David Peters said this in November 2012. There was a cruise ship where people were eating, drinking, being merry, laughing, cruising. Then it changed to a landing ship, military ship. Incredible sense of readiness and purpose, alertness, war. Everybody on board knew their task and were living for this purpose. So he has this picture of a cruise ship. Anyone been on cruise ships around the Mediterranean? Who wants to? Danny and I were talking about that the other day. We went out for a date on Thursday night. We were coming past, and there's this, that massive cruise liner at the moment. She said, would you like to go on that? I said, that'd be awesome. It'd be cool spending 21 days on a ship, getting to know some people, having a good time with one another. So David had this picture of this cruise ship, this party. Everyone was cruising, drinking, being merry. And then the picture shifted, and it was that, a military ship where everyone knew their purpose, everyone was on board, everybody was active, there was no passiveness, no hangers-on, everybody went from one into another, and this is, you think of military, it's precise, it's intentional, and you know what, if you go into battle unprepared, you get killed. And this is the picture he saw that God was building here. As we were coming in, I was talking to my mum about individualism versus team. And how, you know, in our culture, we are wrought. I don't know about this New Zealand culture, over other cultures, we just are probably, I think, one of the most individual people on the planet. She'll be right, I can do it, go away. I don't need your help, I'm self-dependent, self-reliant, and I depend on me and no one else, so go away. Because we have this pioneering spirit, which is awesome, but you know what gets us in all sorts of trouble when it comes to the kingdom. So we'll be masters at yacht races, we'll be masters at winning this, we had a great rugby team, but we're pretty useless when it comes together to relying on one another. Help. Help. And I can figure this out on my own. I'll just strive harder. I'll push through. And we were talking about the analogy, and if you don't know me, I love football, like football, used to play a lot of football. I was watching Liverpool play this morning before I came here. And when you're in a team, it's about the team winning. And in football, there are certain players that at the moment in Liverpool's team, that really, there's one guy in particular, he's a German international guy, Emre Kahn his name is, and he's really a midfield player. So his preferred position would be to play in the midfield. He's strong, he's fast, he can pass, he's physical, and that would be his love, his preferred position. But at the moment, the coach has got him playing at centre-back, right-back. So it's not his preferred position. But why does he play there? Because he's committed to the team. He's committed to play in a position that's not necessarily what he wants to be, but it's where his coach wants him to be for the greater team because the team functions better when he's at centre-back than it does when he's at centre-midfield. 
And he's settled the fact that he's here for the team. He's settled the fact that he's here to see the team progress and he's prepared to play anywhere for the team. See, that's what a servant looks like. That's what a servant heart looks like. Coach, I'm prepared to play. I'll prepare to be on the subs bench this week if that's what it is for the team because this guy that's injured, you know what, he's come back and he's even a better player than I am at left back. So I'll be prepared to move out the way and allow him to come and play for the team. He's not chasing anything. He's not after his position. He says, I'm here to serve the team. The greater purpose, the greater reality. Who's the manager in my analogy of the Liverpool football team? God. And God says, you know what? I've always been about a team. I've always been about a body before I've ever been about individuals. I've always seen through the lens through a body, never through the lens of individuals. But because we are the way we are and we're about us rather than him, we always tend to see things through the lens of individuals. And we always tend to make decisions based on individuals rather than team. And we always go like this, well, until I'm sorted out, I'm not really going to choose to be part of the team. I might be part of the team once I get what I want, but I'm not going to be part of the team until I get what I want. Then I'll think about the team. But God says, no, no, it's always about the team. And then guess what? You get sorted out once you're part of the team and you find your purpose as you connect into the team, as you get connected into my will and my purpose, which is greater than anything individually. You find life. But I don't know, I don't know. I've been in this whole thing 15 years and I'm still battling this thing where most people in the church are worried about themselves and are looking for self. What about my ministry? I, I, I. What about me? What about the team? What about being part of a military team? That's where life is. Did you know that? Life is not found trying to find life in yourself. Life is found in finding in him and connecting to what he wants. His will. God has dreams. Did you know that? If I'm honest, I'm sick and tired of hearing stuff about Dreams, 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 dreams. You've got to have, I went to a conference and the guy said, you need to have about 30 dreams. You need to write them all down. I go, man, that is a nightmare dream. Having 30 dreams. You know what? When I saw, when I read this, there were people who had dreams. They got in trouble from having their dreams. They're persecuted. Crushed. Put in bondage for him. You see, we don't realize it, but we keep promoting the self Focus message that keeps alluring us to self. And God's like, man, I've got a dream. I've got a plan. I have a purpose. Jesus said, I come to do the will of who? The Father. God has dreams and purposes. There was a cruise ship where people were eating, drinking, merry, but then it changed to incredible sense of readiness, purpose, alertness, war, spiritual war. Who's in charge of this planet right now? Who's been given authority over the planet? Satan. You realize that we're in a war with a demonic who's been actually given authority to go and do what he wants to do. But we've been given, thank you, Warren, keys 
to unlock and to see his kingdom come. Where though? So we pray these prayers. We don't realize, boom, right here to see his lordship come into us. That means letting go. That means letting go of self and being part of team. That means letting go, getting up early and maybe coming down and start to pray with the people that are here early, praying for his will to be done, getting out of bed an hour earlier, getting up, being disciplined, getting the kids ready. We're going to be there on time. And we're coming to pray for the will of God to be done, not just here on this in this great nation, in the nations. I'm going to let go and give up. Why? Because I understand team and I understand the purpose of the team. I understand God. I understand the will of God to see his kingdom come on this earth. I'm going to come to mountain movers to pray and pray in my home, in my quiet time. I'm praying. What am I praying for? Because I don't know what his will is. The will of the Father. And I'm going to be part of and commit my life to be part of because I understand the why. Because I have to. Because I want to. Because I understand the why. And I'm committing to the why and to be part of a team. A military ship. And I'm playing my part. That's why we're growing and we're shrinking. If that makes any sort of sense. You see, there are more empty seats here than what there ever was. Have you ever asked yourself, why? See, when you turn up the heat, or God starts turning up the heat, we start being a bit uncomfortable. Happened in the Bible. When Jesus went to another level in his teaching, many left. Because God's looking for a certain kind of person. He loves us all, but he's looking for his bride. He's looking for people who are absolutely, 100%, wholeheartedly abandoned, devoted, in love with him to see his will accomplished. And he will not stop till he finds those people. And he is not a respecter of any single person. His will will be done with or without us. We have been given this incredible invitation to be part of what God is doing. Whether we take it up or not is our choice. It does not alter his love for us, but it definitely alters our reward. So we've been given the choice. And as we've been on this journey for four and a half years, I don't know about you, dismantling? Ugh, I don't want to be dismantled. No, I didn't either. I quite liked the way I was. I'm going to undo your un. I don't want my un undone. I quite like my un the way it was. Yeah, I know, but I have more. And if you want more, I've got to undo your current un. What's the scripture about a wineskin? I can't pour in the new into an old wineskin because it bursts. So I need a new wineskin to pour in the new wine. Who likes wine? I love wine. Jesus loved wine. First wedding he took was at a wedding where he turned water to wine. But you can't pour in new wine if you've got an old wineskin, an old mindset. So God's been dismantling some of our thinking here and putting it back together. But the challenge is, have you actually entered into the dismantling process yet? 
Are you still sitting there going, no, I'm right. I'm right. So until this comes over here, I'm not moving. Until this aligns to what I think is true, God says, okay, well, see ya, because I'm going forward. It's a challenge, eh? We're all challenged with it. No one is void of it. I'm constantly being challenged with it. Was radically challenged four and a half years ago. So the challenges am I entering into? I hope we are. I really hope that we are coming into the fullness because I'm here to share with you the fullness, the life in Christ that we can experience in us is phenomenal. The joy and the peace, the kingdom of God within that we can have the eternal life that we can live from, live from it, now is unbelievable. It's indescribable, but it's true. And so I'm going to ask Rodney Blight to come, and Rodney's going to share just a little bit of his testimony of the difference Christ is making in him as he's journeyed on this journey. So let's try and turn this on first. Um, I'm Rodney. I've been part of this community for coming on 20 years. I was, I'm only 21, so I was really young. <laughs> um, I kind of thought that walking through those doors, sitting down in the chair, and uh, running a life group, and you know, doing a little bit of prayer and all the rest of it during the week—that's what what it was all about. Um, until uh, four years ago, God gave me um, some knowledge of what I believe is the meaning of life. Um, love the Lord your God with all your heart, um, soul, mind and strength and love others. And so that's been kind of my um, base in life, or life goal or whatever you want to put it. And um, so I've been on this journey of really seeking him, um, getting to know him. Um, I've actually opened my Bible and reading it. Um, uh, I changed my um, driving into work. I used to listen to the radio station with all the talk hosts talking crap, really, I suppose was the best way of putting it, Um, and changed it to the Bible being read. And so for four years I've been listening to the Bible being read. And so... A lot of the time it's just background noise, but it's God. So, um, And um, I've been going on walks, so I'll take time out and I'll take the morning off and I'll just go for a walk with God. And um, They're scary, those walks with God, because he reveals things that um, I didn't know I had. Um, yeah, which, uh, you know, jealousy and, and a whole of other things that um, he's really showing up in me. Um but what I, through this time, what I've been amazed with is by me seeking him, my wife now has seen something in me that wasn't there before. Now she's starting to really seek him. I'm modeling something to my son that um, I know that he will hopefully not have to go through the wilderness I went through um, to go beforehand. Um, I'm in a discipleship group where each week we 
um, support each other, we dig into the word, we pray, and we and just seeing them grow and me grow and, and them grow is just um, so passionate. Um, I ha- I do the rock kids upstairs, and um, I I didn't really know that I had a gift in administration, um, and through this, um, I'm now writing what the guys are teaching up there. Um, we've we've got a um, super box um, um, series that we do, but um, I don't know where I find the time. But somewhere in the in amongst the, everything I do is I'm writing the punch lists and doing what's done in the small groups and and what God's teaching me. I'm putting into the small groups and stuff. So and it's just phenomenal seeing um, a little kid at the beginning of the year not know where John and the Bible was, if it's the Old Testament, New Testament, and then by the end of the year, they were all ripping through the Bible and they know exactly where everything is, and it's just, it's exciting. Um, yeah, and that's, it's, it's an awesome journey I'm on, and um, I'm going from glory to glory, and I'm excited about it, rather than just walking through the door and sitting there and going away, and really, I didn't think there was much life in that. I've already said then, I don't know where I find the time, but I do. I don't know if anyone else has experienced this. When you really put him first, somehow, it's not logical, but somehow either things slow down or what would take you four hours takes you four minutes. And you can't figure that out. I know that with our finances. It's like none of this makes sense logically. But actually, as you honor him in whatever it is, relationship, finances, laying your life down, somehow something happens. Don't try and figure it out. Just go with it. It's part of the supernatural being that he is. And as we honor him, thanks, Rodney, for that. That's phenomenal. Um, how many of us have heard this? Jeremiah 29, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity, but to give you a future and a hope. How many have heard that? How many have heard that preached in the right context? Because most of the time when I've heard, in fact I stress always, it's always been in the context of individualism. God has a plan for me as an individual. And you need to find your individual destiny, individual destiny, separate from everyone else's individual destiny, so you can leave a legacy. Sounds good, eh? And you better make sure you start dreaming about this and create all these dreams for you so God can pour out a blessing on you and you can live the most individualistic, blessed life on the planet and be superhero flying around on the planet. Now, I'm taking that a bit far, but ultimately that's where it goes. So, God, you have plans for me. Thank you, Lord. Plans to bless me. Oh, I love that. Plans to not harm me. Oh, that's interesting because in other parts of Scripture it says that the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness and the enemy was there to tempt him for 40 days. And that persecution is going to come on me if I'm lived in godliness. So I don't figure that one out. Are you contradicting yourself, God, or what? That Scripture is in the context of speaking to a nation. So God says, you know what? I have a plan and a purpose for the nation 
of Israel at this time because you've been in exile and I'm going to bring you out of exile and I have an incredible plan for you as my people because as we learn, Israel is not actually a physical landmass, it's God's people. We are Israel. We've been grafted in to the spirit and truth position. So ultimately, you can take this. Yes, God is speaking to these particular people, but ultimately, he's speaking to all his people because I have a plan and a purpose for all the people of spirit and truth because they are the true worshippers the Father seeks. So I just happen to be born in 1969, not back here. You hear what I'm saying? So God is speaking to a particular bunch of people. Yes, we acknowledge that. A people. Not a person, a people. This is the context. And I'm going to lead you out of 70 years of exile. For I know the plans that I have. What's that? A bride, millennial reign, the kingdom of God. Being established in all my people as they journey forward. So in that context, he's speaking to a people. Does God have assignments for me to do here on earth? Yes, he does. But we cannot confuse and take scripture out of context and then create our own scripture. And we do it all the time. We do it all the time. That's why we have to walk together with the gifts together to understand scripture in context so we don't get a funny, distorted message. Because I know me, I love Truth, messages that are about me. Anyone else? Oh, I'm loving those. Those dying to self ones, can you park those somewhere? That God has everything for me. I'm digging that, bro. You keep preaching that. I'm hearing you. Bless the Lord. Amen. Oh, come on. And I'm, God blesses, God moves, God res- But once again, we've got to allow God to define it all and it's got to be the right way around. Otherwise, we get in trouble. So God definitely has plans and purposes for his church. It starts for his church. You and I are not the church as individuals. We've learned this, haven't we? I'm not the church on my own. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I'm part of the church, but I'm not the church on my own. I am not the head, the arm, the leg, the fingers. I'm not Jesus Christ. That might shock you. (laughs) But I'm not. I am part of the church. Be quiet, Mark. (laughs) Thanks for fixing my roof, by the way, buddy, during the week. Are we clear on that one? Okay. Thanks, Warren, again. The disciples, see, they had their own plans and agendas, didn't they? See, we're in good company. See, this thing called self really wants to dominate and dictate us. That's why we're supposed to die to it. Deny self. The first thing, one of the first things Jesus said, deny yourself, Greg. But the disciples were going through this process as well. They had an image of who Jesus was going to be when he came back, didn't they? Man, he's going to do some serious damage to you Romans. He's coming to set his kingdom up, literally. He's going to establish it. Caesar, you're gone. He's going to boot you out. And we, we are going to reign with him and we will be in position. Man, you better watch Romans. We're looking forward to this. You're looking forward to this, Simon. We're going to do some serious damage. Man, we've been persecuted. We're going to do some persecuting. See, that was their mindset. They had their agenda. 
hey, Jesus, do you want us to zap these guys? They didn't even give them a donkey, and they're trying to kill them. Jesus is going, my giddy up, man. What's going on? How long have I been with you that I came to save, not kill? You want to burn from fire from heaven, James and John? John's the one that says, I love him the much, by the way. I'm the one he loves more than these guys. He loves me more than he loves you, Paul. Just thought I'd tell you. Just in case you didn't know. Can't you see it? Jesus, we will go to the death with you. And they all said the same thing, didn't they? We will die. You know what? All that over there, we know they won't, but we will. Oh, okay. Hey, guys, can you not even wake up for an hour and pray? They're sleeping in his utmost moment. He says, can you pray? And they're asleep. Five minutes ago, they're giving it all that, saying they're going to go and die with him. Why? Because they had their agenda. They had their plans. They were speaking from the self, the flesh. And when the flesh got tested, failed. I'm so thankful, though, that I love a God who's unforgiving. So he's forgiving. He's merciful. (laughs) Unrelenting. Pursues us and doesn't let or stop me get in the way of his love. I have nothing to fear. Even when I mess up, he's still going to love me. Even when I say one thing and do the opposite, he's still going to love me. But he loves me to encourage me to change and transform so I can become the very thing he wants me to become. So when I say, my lifestyle matches. And he's given us all a window, a snippet of a chance called life to be these people and to come into this realm so we can partake of everything he has in the millennium and in the future. My Bible tells me in Revelation that the bondservants will see his face and will have a name written on their forehead and they will minister unto the Lord. Woo! But Paul said, if I was trying to find the favor of man, I would not be a bondservant. If I'm living in the fear of man, if I'm in the fear of of God from a sense of a missed mindset, If I'm trying to please man, I cannot be a bondservant. And bondservants will see the Lord face to face in a future reality and he will write a name on their forehead. Anyone want the name on your forehead? You've been called to be a bondservant. What is a bondservant? Someone who willfully lays their life down, chooses from will to lay their life down and serve somebody else for life. Those slaves were slaves for seven years. They were given their freedom. Do you want to stay with your master? Or do you want to leave? I'm going to give you freedom to leave. No, my master has treated me so well, I will lay my life down and serve Anne for the rest of my days. I will give my life for the purposes of the master. That's a bond servant. 
those people receive a mark on their forehead and will see the Lord face to face in a future realm. Because we know we're living, don't we? Death is the stepping stone to another expression of life. Why are we afraid of death? Anyone afraid of death? Where's your sting? Gone. Because you don't die. It's a lie. Isn't that cool? It's a lie. He'll try and lie to you. He'll tell you. But it's not. But the person of truth says, when you die, physically, you're not dead. You're alive. So let's die now to live for the future. You hear what I'm saying? See, this type of mindset, which is individualistic, is, which is prevalent in the body of Christ, is killing the building of the body of Christ. We keep ripping one another apart. Or we're just not building because we're too busy living for us. So the body of Christ isn't being built. Now it is being built by all those that are committed to it, who are being part of the team, but at the same time it's being hindered because what could it be? What could it look like? If every one of us in this room committed ourselves wholeheartedly and fully to Christ and what he's doing here, what would our prayer gatherings look like? Do you know prayer is what moves God? So how much prayer are we actually giving up firstly as a corporate, as a body? And then individually. Not for oh God, I want this and I want that. I'm talking about his prayers. You see, we're too busy praying for ourselves, but it says he answers the prayers that are his prayers. His will be done. When you pray a prayer that's in alignment to his will, how do you know his will? You need to figure out, God, how do I pray in this situation? What do you want me to pray so I can align myself with your prayer, your will? See, we use this, two or more are gathered in your name. Guess what? Yabbity-doo. Not if those two or more aren't praying the will of the Father. Two or more praying your own will. And Lord, we ask you to bless this because it's our will. No, he blesses his will. What he wants prayed for. There you see me move. Which means we've got to take the time to figure out what am I praying, Lord? Not my will be done, your will be done. I agree with that, says heaven. I see that person and that community praying my will be done. Not what they think, my will be done. Two or more are gathered, boom, I am there in their midst. He's drawn to himself, and it's not selfishness. He's drawn to when he sees a people who want him and his will because those people decided at some point and settled the fact that it's no longer about me, but it's about his will and him being done, his will being done. That ultimately is what that word is that David is bringing, I believe. When we think it's about us as individuals first, this keeps the God of self, which is in every one of us, alive. But when we receive a conviction that it's about his body first, this becomes the death sentence for self. If you want some scriptures to read, um, Jeremiah 29, go read 8 to 14. Obviously, 
uh, 11 is in the middle of that. So you can read all of Jeremiah 29 if you want, but if you want to, I won't read it now. But it's verses, so Jeremiah 29, 8 to 14, in relation to it being about a nation, the people of Israel. So the challenge and question I want to ask us is how committed are we truly to being part of what God is doing here, laying our lives down to see his kingdom established in our hearts and minds, and then to see his kingdom administered through the demonstration of our lives? How committed are we truly to becoming one with him and one another? I know that question Questions is heavily loaded. Boom. But how many people know God heavily loads truth and goes boom? That's why when he turned up, there was an uproar. Because truth came into the situation and went, Here I am, and I'm going to shine. See, our flesh hates truth, but our spirit loves it. There's actually no opposition if you're in the Spirit. The flesh opposes the Spirit. It's in war with the Spirit. But the Spirit loves the truth. And so I'm going to come with me to 2 Timothy because he paints this picture of a person, a people. 2 Timothy 2, which I hope will give you a viewpoint of how intentional God actually is when it comes to his people and how a massive part of the church today, not only here but across this nation and nations, I believe need to be apprehended and arrested to the true calling of the church, the true purpose of her, how God sees her and her role on this planet. It says here, 2 Timothy 2 verse 1, You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Why would we need to be strong in the grace in Christ? Yeah, but why would we need to be strong in it? Why would we need to know it? Why would it need to be something that actually moves and shifts us? Not just, oh yeah, Technically, I understand the grace thing, but I need to be strong in it. It needs to be a living reality in me. It needs to be something that I've received and is living. It has a heartbeat and it breathes and it determines decisions and choices. Be strong in the grace. Stand strong in my grace. See, it's a pillar. It's a pillar of strength. So he's saying, be strong in grace. Which means I have to know what it even is. I don't mean technically, theologically. I mean to know it. To have experienced the reality of grace. They're two radically different things. So he says, be strong in this that is in Christ Jesus. The only place you can find it is in Christ. Now, Christ is to be in us, yes? 
And that is to be the hope of glory. So do you know, and have you got living within you the reality, it's there, but the living reality of a grace that is strong that is going to determine how you're going to run? Because Christ in you is the hope of glory. And that grace is found in Christ. So I have the revealed Christ in me coming out of me. The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. I love this. Here's discipleship. The Bible says we should be all be teachers. Not in the sense of I've got a five-fold teaching gift. I read Hebrews that you should all be now be teachers, be able to disciple be able to take scriptures and unpack them and explain them in the spirit to those who are more immature than you, who are younger than you, and to be leading them into where? The Father. Man, has discipleship got lost in the modern day church? Why? Because it's all about me and my ministry. So we kick out the very thing Jesus patterned and the very thing that builds the church. And he's saying... Go teach this to others who are faithful men. Suffer hardship with me. When did you last suffer hardship for Christ? Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. When were you last persecuted for Jesus? Challenging, eh? But don't, don't look at me. Look at what the Word says. He is declaring His reality. I'm just a mouthpiece that's speaking words. And these things challenge me. But I, I'm looking at that going, whoa, suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Do you consider yourself a soldier in His army? Or are you a civilian? You go to war. I'm going for a latte. <laughs> and I'll read you about on Google how's it going. Hmm, five were killed this week. That's a shame. Never mind. The lattes are nice. No soldier in active service. Active. Okay. Entangles himself, herself, in the affairs of of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. Who's it talking about? Who enlisted us to be active soldiers? God. So these people who are active soldiers are suffering for Christ, persecuted for Christ, they're active in the war and they are no longer entangled themselves in affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. He ain't mucking around, is he? We may, he doesn't. See, we have to settle the fact, and I'm just going to say this again, 
Because I don't know whether we fully grasp the day, and sometimes you can't because you know you, God goes takes on the knowledge that you have in that given moment. But he says, you know, there's a whole other requirement of knowledge to come into. So let me just reiterate again. So are we aware the day that we committed our life to Christ is the day that we decided we died, we're dead? This is what we did, okay? I'm inviting you not just to save me from my sin. This is probably what many of us were led in. You saved me from my sin so I don't go to hell. Thank you. Right, now I'm living for me. No, this is what you actually did. So if you didn't know you did it, I'm going to tell you what you actually did. And I hope the weight of this hits you right between the eyes, okay? In love. (laughs) You decided that you no longer want to live. And you asked him to forgive you of a nature that separates you from him. Then you asked, are there other people that I need to forgive? Are there people that I need to be forgiven? Because unless I forgive them, I cannot be forgiven. And then, okay, we decided to figure out what his will is to be done on this earth. I died. I'm no longer interested in any of my dreams, my plans, my desires. They are all left right here. And then I turn and I go, Jesus, what is your, or Father, what is your will? And I'm going to go on a lifetime journey to discover what that will is and I'm going to be part of it and see it accomplished through me. And I no longer have any of that there. If you, in your goodness, decide as I'm walking to discover what your will is to give me back any of the desires or dreams that I had, I will let you define them for me. And I will consider them only a bonus because none of them will define me any longer because I'm defined by you and your purpose for the church, firstly, body, and how my life fits into that body picture. That is what everyone decided to do the day you actually decided to follow him. Whether you know it or not, you are being told it today. Which ultimately means you no longer have an excuse. Because God, stand up about. Is to take that person and nail their ear to the pillar of the house. And what that signified was that they weren't going their own way. They had a listening, a listening to the commands of the master. Thanks, Tess. There you go. And there's the body working right there. We just were enriched then. So that's what we decided to do. And the Bible says, I will hold you accountable to what you know. Now you know. Okay? It says this, also, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not win the prize unless he competes according to the rules. Okay? Justification, salvation in the sense of being justified is a gift, isn't it? That's not the prize. It's a gift. And the gift is free. It costs someone something, but not you and I. It's a gift. So he's not talking about that here. 
He's talking about something greater than your justified position in Christ. He says, there is a prize on offer, but you're just not given a prize. You have to earn the prize. Oh, but we don't earn our way to the Lord. And that's right, I'm not talking about that. That's the gift. What I'm talking about is obedience to the one that you say you love who has enlisted you to follow his commandments. Rodney just said what it was. And do that wholeheartedly abandon. Guess what? There is a prize on offer for the church. But it's only those who run according to the rules that will get the prize. Bond servant, name written on the head, face to face with the Lord. You want that prize? Possibly. He'll be in a determinant all. Or I can tell you at a judgment seat of Christ, things are determined. So you've got a picture of a soldier doesn't get entangled in civilian affairs. You've got an athlete now who's intentional, determined to run a kind of way to win a prize that they can only win if they compete according to the rules. The hard-working farmer ought to be the first to receive his share of the crops. This is verse 6. Consider what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. So we need to consider what is being spoken today and seek him for understanding if we're outside of understanding. If we're in understanding, the question is, are we taking that understanding and allowing it to be in our hearts and minds? Because once again, to leave it in, I understand that, but it not be a practical outworking of it, is really hypocrisy. What I say, what I do, are to align. Ultimately, God's empowerment, his mercy, allows that process to get shorter and shorter and shorter the more we live. Two other scriptures for you. 1 Corinthians 9, 24 to 27. 1 Corinthians 7, 29 to 35. 1 Corinthians 9, 24 to 27. Paul talking about a race. And 1 Corinthians 7, 29 to 35, is Paul talking about really not being caught up in civilian affairs. Read all of 1 Corinthians 7 to get the full context. Because he's saying, if you're married, live as if you're not. If you're happy, live as if you're not. What's he saying? Don't get married. Don't get divorced, sorry. No. He's saying, live for Christ and allow that to define everything. Don't let the things of the world which God has put in place but still we distort them, don't let those things define this reality. This reality is to define them. How committed are we through prayer? How committed are we through time? How committed are we through our gift? How committed are we through finances? How committed are we through love? This isn't about laying our lives down for religion or a man-made organization or institution or empire building. But we are laying our lives down to fulfill the will of God, the purposes of God, and to be and become a people of oneness, a holy nation, a bride, sons, priests, 
a people for God's own position who love God and love others, who disciple others into being these people for him. Amen. So Father, I pray what spoken today is of you, things that are of me that have got in the way, I pray that you would just evaporate them from our minds right now and our hearts and the things that of you that have been spoken will just go deep into our hearts. I pray this word which has been challenging, it's challenged me even preparing it, would go, it would encourage us firstly and it would paint a picture of who we are called to be and become. Father, we are living by faith and faith alone. It was the words Paul said, the life I live, I live by faith in Jesus Christ not in fear any longer, in faith. And I pray, Lord, that the macro picture would inspire us, it would encourage us, it would empower us, that you would show it to us in full light and full glory, that we would not let the sin of our, 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 the sin entangle us, but we would keep our eyes firmly fixed on you and your hope and your purposes and your will for this, your church, Father God. And here, right here, at this place called The Rock, and in this nation and the nations, Lord. It is an honour and a privilege, Father, to lay one's life down for you and to see your kingdom established in our hearts and minds and in this community called Wellington and Johnsonville, Father. So, Lord, I pray that you would bless uh, in a way that would just absolutely encourage us out of our own socks and out of ourselves, and we would be compelled, like Paul said, to live for you and you alone. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.